When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. In business, service is everything. Cintas delivers what you need to better serve your customers. Whether it's freshly laundered work apparel for almost any job imaginable, tested and inspected fire protection systems, first aid and safety supplies, on-site AED training, or mops and restroom products stocked and ready when you need them. Better work days happen together. So visit Cintas.com. Oh, I'm ready! And get ready for the workday. Good evening, everyone. I'm Sarah Seidner. Welcome to CNN Tonight. We begin with Donald Trump's legal drama. We now know when Donald Trump is scheduled to go to trial in the classified documents case. The judge decided it could begin as early as May 20th, six months before the 2020 election, but smack dab in the middle of the presidential campaign. Now we are all waiting for another answer. Will Donald Trump be indicted for the third time in the case concerning whether he tried to subvert America's democracy. Howard Dean is here with us to break down how this might play out as America decides who will be their next president. Plus, I'm serious about this, sharks on cocaine, not a joke. This Shark Week, you will learn some of the most outrageous things that are possibly happening to sharks in our waters and why it matters to our world. And last but certainly not least, will Barbie break records? The stars of the new Barbie movie sat down with me before the strike. They love their movie, but America Ferreira and Margot Robbie reveal why they did not play with Barbie as children. A, like we couldn't afford Barbies. B, like, I don't know, it just like didn't, this world of Barbie didn't feel like it had very much for me in it, to be perfectly honest. But that is what is so beautiful to me about this moment and getting to be a part of this story that is expanding the world of Barbie to include the rest of us. It's Friday, but we are not done yet. There's plenty of news on different topics that we will like to get to you. Excuse me. Let's begin with the only former president to face federal criminal charges in the United States history. America now knows when Donald Trump's first federal criminal trial is scheduled to begin. And joining me now, Sarah Krisoff, former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. Thank you so much for coming in on this Friday night when you could be, you know, out watching a movie. I won't <laughs> say which one. All right. Um, we're looking ahead now. Team Trump is going to try to push this trial. They have already talked about trying to delay the trial and hoping that it can go past May 2024 past potentially the election, could they possibly be successful? Because there's always delays in trials, or often. I think there's a good chance this trial date does not hold. This is a massive case, um, and the defense team has a valid reason to ask for more time, I think, as this case develops. Okay, so when you look at the case itself, there's a lot of documents, there's a lot of video that they still have to go over, and of course they had to be approved to look at some of the classified documents. So all of those things 
a fair bet, the judge will say, okay, if they're not ready, we got to move the date. All right. Um, there are more legal troubles potentially ahead. Uh, it could be that he is indicted for a third time. He has received already a target letter. How likely is it that Donald Trump will be indicted on charges concerning the 2020 election? I think it's looking pretty good that we see another indictment out of Jack Smith's team related to the 2020 election and, and frankly, likely another one in Georgia as well related to that conduct. Those are overlapping cases. Um, I think the Georgia case really is subsumed within the federal case, but we will likely see both of those indictments in the coming weeks. Obviously, all these cases cannot be tried at the same time. Is there any possibility? Because a lot of people look at this last potential indictment and feel that that is the most important case of all the cases being brought and potentially the the state of Georgia case. How do they figure out where this works is the classified documents case the first one it's the first one on the books and there's a there's a date now Yeah, I mean, the timing is really not going to depend on which case was brought first. Um, It's going to depend on which case sort of requires the most preparation for trial. And so I think there's going to be some jockeying here, but the, the former president has the right to prepare for the trial, to have the time to invest. His team needs the time to invest in preparations. And and frankly, he's going to have some good arguments to postpone some of those trials. I just learned something from you. I didn't realize that if a case is put forward to the court, it doesn't matter the order in which it's put forward. It matters how much time you need to try and defend yourself or your client in in the case. All right. Let's take a look at what Trump's defense is saying today. Here is what one of his lawyers uh, told Fox News. There's no need to appear in front of any grand jury right now. President Trump did absolutely nothing wrong. He's done nothing criminal. The only thing that President Trump asked is a pause in the counting so those seven contested states could either re-audit or recertify. I've never heard of anyone get indicted for asking for an audit. All right. Is that, is that argument even a possibility here? I don't think so. I mean, these are really talking points for the media for, for from Trump's team, and I think really don't go to the merits of the legal case against him. I, I think their case is going to be based on these calls that Trump and his team members made. Um, they have, you know, unfortunately for, for Trump, some very strong evidence that's going to be appealing before a jury, actual audio and video and things like that. So, you know, the the evidence you will see at the trial, should it happen, is different from, you know, the the talking points that Trump's team are putting out now. There's also rules that are set by the judge as well. Um, We have seen Donald Trump um, say some some very aggressive things towards district attorneys, towards judges that disagree with him and his team. Do you think there's any possibility that there's a gag order put in in, in a case or A warning? We've already seen a warning out of New York um, to the Trump team. It's certainly possible that we see gag orders going forward here. Um, And frankly, as a a defense attorney now, the the last thing you want to see is your client out there speaking publicly about the matters for which he's been indicted. That is not good defense strategy, um, but his lawyers are are not very effective in in keeping their their client quiet. Uh, So but I, I think the judges may try to do that. They think it's sort of in his interest, in the in the defendant's interest, in the former president's interest, and also in the public interest to keep him quiet here. 
When it comes to these many different cases that that are being juggled, you have one in New York that concerns payments made to um, a porn star, Stormy Daniels. You have one that's potential that may come forward, you think is probably going to be indicted. Trump himself thinks he's going to be indicted uh, uh, in the 2020 election case. Um, And you have the case in Georgia that's potential. I mean, they're, they're piling up. And then you have this classified documents case. With all of these cases going at the same time, how does he have a legal team that can deal with all these different things all coming around the same time? It's unclear, frankly, how he does that and how he does that effectively, because, um, you know, Trump has already uh, he, he is he's quite famous for moving through lawyers. Right. So using lawyers and uh, those relationships usually don't go so well. He yeah. hires new lawyers. Um, and so to also he not only has to get lawyers to staff all of these teams, but has to keep those lawyers. So if he uh, has some Dis- uh, disagreements with these lawyers are along the way, they part ways, that again could reset the clock on these cases. Um, and then the courts would allow more time for any new team that comes in to prepare. That could also be a tactic used to delay, delay, delay until after the election. We will all be waiting to see what happens, including, of course, Trump himself uh, and all of the candidates that are up against him. Sarah Kristoff, thank you so much for your great analysis. Appreciate it. Thank you. Now let's bring in Howard Dean. He is, of course, former presidential candidate, a DNC chair, and Vermont governor. Uh, I want to get your take, sir, first on something that uh, presidential candidate Chris Christie said tonight on CNN about the, the strange reality of American politics today. Let's take a listen. What we know is if Donald Trump winds up clinching the nomination by May of 2024, then our candidate for president in our party will be sitting in a courtroom in Florida for weeks, yep. being accused of crimes that could expose him to 30 years in prison. I mean, do you really think that's the person who's going to beat Joe Biden? Does he have a point? Is this what Democrats are hoping for? Well, I wouldn't go say I'd go so far as to say we're hoping for Trump to get the nomination because he's a danger to the future of the country. But yeah, Christie's right. Uh, I think Joe Biden wins that one fairly handily. His, his record of accomplishment, I think, has surprised a lot of people. And he's really gone all around the country talking about it and including catching out Tommy Tuberville, who voted against his program and now is running around Alabama telling everybody all that money was his his doing. So I think Biden wins that one. I think what just happened on CNN is a Democrat and a Republican agreed on something. So I'm just noting that first. Um, I do want to find out from you which Republican candidate at this point do you think would give Joe Biden the hardest time, the biggest fight? That's a really good question. I don't know the answer. They all the problem is they're stumbling with with the exception of Asa Hutchinson and Chris Christie. They're stumbling over over them to be who can be the most ludicrous. I mean, DeSantis has essentially destroyed his candidacy with this all this stuff about teaching black people that the slaves were were not didn't weren't suffering that much. I mean, who does this kind of stuff? He's going crazy. So I just think that uh, I think the Republican Party is in really serious trouble, really serious trouble. And if they win, the country is in really serious trouble. And I think there are enough Americans who aren't going to vote for this ridiculous nonsense. Um, but we're going to find out. I just want to clarify what DeSantis said, and ultimately the Florida Board of Education has said that they uh, basically said slavery actually ended up, because of the work that slaves did, uh, benefiting 
slaves uh, as well as others. That is uh, what you are referring to and has uh, sent a lot of people um, into a a really angry place to to hear that that's what's going to be taught to school children. Um, I want to also have you take a listen to what um, former uh, Vice President Pence, a supporter of, of him, said on the trail today. I would love to see you be president of the United States. I was going to give you an honest comment. Thank you. I don't believe you ever will be until the day you stand up to that man. I just believe that. I I hope, and maybe you're too good a Christian to ever do that. Thank you for your time. Well, I don't know about too good a Christian. (laughs) Some people think we did a fair amount of standing up two and a half years ago. All right. You heard that. Um, He's gotten a couple of pretty tough questions. That one was really clear, saying, look, if you do not stand up against Donald Trump, you are never going to win. Is this one of the essences of the problem for those who are running against Donald Trump, but are still trying to court those who really are following and who support Donald Trump? It's not only a problem in the presidential race for the Republicans. I think the Democrats have a pretty good chance of holding the Senate and picking up the House. And that is the reason why. There are too many Republicans who know that Trump is a a malignant narcissist and crazy, and they are afraid to say so. And without there are a lot of people in the Republican Party who are on the ground, not a majority, but a lot of people who are on the ground, like the guy who just asked that question, who I'm sure I don't agree with on much. But he at least showed the courage to stand up for something that was really uh, against something that was really bad and asked Pence to do the same thing. There are not enough Republicans and they won't change fast enough by the 2024 election to get any of those people elected. Because I think the, the majority of Americans does not want to sell the principles that America was founded on uh, to, because they're angry at uh, black people or poor people or gay people or transgender children. You were referring to uh, the, what the culture wars um, that have been going on for quite some time and being brought up in uh, campaigns. Uh, I do want to lastly ask you this. Why do you think that Donald Trump, who is right now the Republican frontrunner, and Joe Biden, who is the incumbent, a Democrat, have such low approval ratings by voters at this point in time? Um, that's a really good question. I wish I knew the answer uh, to it. And I'm sure there have been a lot of people on this your program who told you what the answer was, and none of them know. Um, I, I think in Biden's case, it's partly his age. Uh, they would like somebody who's younger, but his record of accomplishment is extraordinary, really extraordinary. If you actually looked at what he did, I think he probably outguns the last few presidents on both sides. Um, so... Um, that's why I think Biden's numbers are low. Trump's numbers are low because he's Donald Trump. Um, people don't like crooks, and he is one. Uh, and we're going to find out if the justice uh, system thinks so, too, uh, in a few months. Howard Dean, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for your candid commentary. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Ahead, is the Florida Department of Education trying to rewrite U.S. history, particularly when it comes to the history of slavery in America, the most well-known civil rights attorney in America who is also a Floridian is vowing to fight the decisions. Attorney Benjamin Crump joins us next.
In the news tonight, the new set of standards for teaching black history in Florida public schools. The state's Board of Education has unanimously approved a new curriculum, including a lesson teaching slavery could have offered a, quote, personal benefit to enslaved people. Vice President Harris taking a last minute trip to Florida today to blast those new standards. They are creating these unnecessary debates. This is unnecessary to debate whether enslaved people benefited from slavery. Are you kidding me? Are we supposed to debate that? Let us not be distracted by what they're trying to do, which is to create unnecessary debates to divide our country. Let's not fall in that trap. And Florida Governor DeSantis, when asked about it tonight, standing by the standards, but saying he was not involved in passing them. Now, I want to bring in civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump, who also happens to be a Florida resident. Thank you, sir, for being here. Thank you for having me, Sarah. I want to ask you about this. The idea that they are putting forth um, to children that's going to be taught that slavery could be in some cases to the personal benefit of the slave. What do you think Florida's Board of Education is trying to do here? I think, Sarah, they're trying to offer revisionist history to match their political ideology. And it is so very harmful to our children, all our children, but especially uh, the descendants of those who were enslaved. This has the potential to cause severe psychological trauma to African-American students who are in middle school and high school and have to be told that actually slavery was good for your ancestors. How offensive is that, Sarah? It is deplorable, and we're better than this. I want to let you hear from the Florida governor, who is now, of course, running uh, for the presidency uh, in the Republican Party. This is what he said about all of this um, controversy. Anyone who reads that will see that it's very thorough, very factual, and for them to try to demagogue it, look, that may have worked in the past. Nobody's buying their nonsense um, anymore. And so, you know, she's going to come down uh, to the state of Florida um, and try to chirp and try to try to demagogue. Uh, All she's doing is ignoring the responsibilities that the administration has to secure our border. They're failing at that. Okay, what did you think of his response there to uh, calling out Kamala Harris, trying to say that she's just coming down there basically for political reasons? It's an attempt to deflect Uh, what Vice President Kamala Harris did today was exemplified true leadership. And what you saw there was not leadership. You know, she talked to us about we must stand for truth. We must stand for equality. We must stand for fairness. That's not what you heard the governor talk about. He did not come and condemn this uh, standard that said we're going to teach our children that slavery wasn't that bad. In fact, it was beneficial. He's uh, previously they talked about the Holocaust not being real. And so 
how far does this go before true leaders like the president and the vice president say, no, we will stand on truth. We will not let you lie to our children. And this is what this is about, our children, our future. America is at the crossroads and we have a choice to make. I want to talk to you about this because you do live in the state of Florida. You are also an attorney and you're also a black American. Um, In 2020, so three years ago, there was a law passed in in Florida, HB 1213. Uh, It went into effect in July and it required public schools to certify that they teach about the Holocaust. And another provision of that same bill uh, that set the ball rolling on teaching about the 1920 Ocoee, Florida Election Day massacre. And those two things were in this bill that then-Governor Ron DeSantis signed. And now, three years later, there's this new controversy because there seems to be some new language, or there is some new language, about how these things will be taught, particularly when it comes to American history and specifically Black American history. Why do you think that is? He signed it into law that is required to be taught, and now there are changes. It is what I think trying to play on divisiveness. It is trying to create wedges in society for political gain. It is not proper. We've seen it throughout history, and we have seen that America and people of moral character have risen above that, Sarah Seidner. And so now we must let those enemies who champion uh, against equality know that we're going to take a stand for truth and equality. The fact that the race massacre in Ocala and Oconee when black people tried to defend themselves from being killed and their property burnt, you can't say they were creating violence. To try to teach that mm. false narrative really harms our children from understanding the true history of what slavery was, what racism is, what discrimination is. And the fact is, if our children don't learn the true history, then we may soon find ourselves repeating it. And that is what is so dangerous about this. The fact, if you tell young people and put it indoctrinated in their minds that slavery isn't a bad thing, then when they become leaders tomorrow, they have been taught this. And so we may go down that road again and we can't go down that road again. And that's why we must say slavery was evil and it was immoral, period, point blank. And with that, I'm going to end this conversation. Uh, Benjamin Crump, I know you speak for a lot of Americans, not only black Americans, but others. And I know that Ron DeSantis has uh, his side of things where he says, look, I signed this into law that this is now required. I certainly didn't uh, learn about the Ocoee massacre when I was in school. It is now required, but there is a lot of controversy about how it will be taught. And I know you bring up the points about whether it will be taught 
fairly and truthfully. And those are all fair points. Benjamin Crump, always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for joining us on CNN Tonight. Thank you, Sarah. The Gilgo Beach serial killer suspect's wife is filing for divorce now. As we learn, he might have lured his victims to their family home. An expert on serial killers is joining us ahead. A man accused of leading a double life, a New York architect, is now charged with the Gilgo Beach killings. Tonight, authorities are looking into whether the alleged killer, Rex Hewerman, lured women to a suburban home before killing them. Investigators say their disappearance coincided with his wife and kids being out of town. Joining me now, an expert on the mind of a serial killer, professor of forensic psychology, Catherine Ramsland. She is the author of How to Catch a Killer. Professor, thank you so much uh, for coming on the program. You say that what you're learning about Hurman, you've seen before with other serial killers like Gary Ridgway, John Wayne Gacy, Robert Hansen, and Richard Cunningham, and Dennis Rader. What similarities do you see? Well, first, all of them had families. All of them had jobs. All of them had um passed in their neighborhoods as ordinary people. And they were able to carry this on sometimes for years without anybody suspecting that they were also committing crimes, very serious crimes of murder, sometimes rape. Um, They had a way of being able to uh, put on a face, put on a facade, play a role, several roles, and still go out and murder people. That is extreme compartmentalization. Um, how did they? How do they do it? It takes some practice. Everybody can do it. Actually, everyone can play parts, can play roles. But they have a particular reason why they would be doing it. They want to keep their dark stuff hidden. They want to keep doing it. So they are very skilled at it. They usually have a, a very active fantasy life. They then dissociate from. The, their ordinary life and build um, what one of them, Dennis Rader, called life frames. So they can turn whatever face they need outward to meet the circumstances, to meet the demands, and deflect people from suspecting them with anything. Professor, investigators are looking at the case from the angle that he may have committed these crimes Inside his Long Island home, a source close to the investigation has told CNN that the disappearance occurred while his family, as we said earlier, was out of town. If that is true, what does that reveal to you about his mentality? You wouldn't think that someone would actually do this in their own home. The dangers of being caught would be much higher, wouldn't they? The dangers of being caught are higher when they lure victims to their home. However... There's an attitude called narcissistic immunity. They think they're the smartest people in the room. They think they won't get caught. They think they're so skilled at what they're doing, no one's going to suspect. They think they can clean up so well uh, that nobody will ask them any questions. And I would guess that is what happened because his family was completely blindsided by this. So if indeed he killed these women in his home, he was able to clean it up. 
is terrifying. We know that his wife has filed for divorce uh, this week. Um, He is charged in connection with the deaths uh, right now of three women, and he's considered the prime suspect in the death of a fourth woman found nearby. Uh, Tonight, police are saying that their investigation spans four different states. Can you explain how serial killers' patterns evolve over the years? Well, a serial killer, I mean, they're not a criminal type. There are a lot there are a lot of different motivations and different MOs and different reasons why they're doing it. It's kind of a myth to think they always do the same thing because quite often they will diversify and try out different things. Or if they think the police are onto them, they'll find a different hunting ground or a different burial ground or, you know, that they do change some things. I know that they're suspecting that there might be some victims in other states where he owns properties. Um, That would be the easiest way of getting away with this is killing strangers in places where he doesn't usually reside. But on the other hand, he did kill four. Very and dumped their bodies not too far from where he lived. Still, he got away with that or starting at least 15 years. So in 2007 was the first one, and he was not identified as a suspect until 2022. So he did get away with it for quite a long time, even though they were fairly close to where he lived. These families have gone through hell all these years, wondering what happened, wondering who did this. And now there is a suspect in custody uh, after a lot of different work, including new techniques and forensics, which helped push this case forward. Uh, Professor Catherine Ramsland, thank you so much for coming on and explaining the mind of a serial killer. It is always very interesting to delve into that, as well as terrifying. We appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for having me. All right, switching gears. You've heard of cocaine bear. Well, now there's cocaine shark. Yeah, scientists are concerned sharks may be eating bundles of cocaine dumped into the ocean. We'll discuss that madness next. We know you've heard of Cocaine Bear, that movie released this year that was based on a true story. Tonight, we're one-upping that story with cocaine sharks. Now, before you judge me, give me a second, because scientists are looking into whether sharks are getting high on cocaine after drug smugglers dumped cocaine in the ocean trying to evade authorities. Marine biologists have been noticing some strange behavior. Take a look. You notice how she's swimming? Yeah, it looks like she's slightly on the one side. Almost like she's weighted down. She's not quite level. Now that is unusual. Could be a past injury. Or maybe a chemical imbalance. Either way, something to note for sure. Turns out even sharks have chemical imbalances. Joining me now from our sister network Discovery's Cocaine Sharks wildlife biologist and Shark Week expert, Forrest Galante. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Sarah. How are you? All right. It sounds insane. Cocaine sharks. I don't know. I Just saying it um, makes me concerned that people are going to think I'm insane. But how is this a possibility? 
Well, to be clear, uh, it is insane. I mean, what happens is, as you can imagine, human beings have a large impact on the environment, no matter what we do or where we go. And what potentially you may be seeing in this clip, which to be clear, I have nothing to do with, uh, is where sharks may have some sort of impact from drugs and other pharmaceuticals in the water. You know, we've seen that in places in South Florida, bonefish in particular are testing incredibly high for antidepressants that have been dumped into the ocean and other parts of the ocean. There are other pharmaceuticals that are being absorbed through the, through the food chain and through the skin. And that bioaccumulates so that the sharks that ultimately eat these fish may actually suffer some negative consequences. I mean, it, it, it sounds pretty scientific, like, you know, that this could happen. Um, and the fact that, you know, when people are traversing the cocaine across the ocean and dumping it in there, you, you'd see how it could affect the, the food chain, if you will. Um, I read that the marine biologists are conducting experiments to test a shark's reaction to fake bales of cocaine. What happens when they when they do? Uh, you know, I'm not aware of those tests. I really okay. couldn't tell you. What I could say is the, the clips you're looking at there of a hammerhead, they are somewhat inquisitive sharks. But when it comes to certain species like tiger sharks, which are widely known as the dumpsters of the ocean, we found car tires in their stomachs, license plates, all kinds of things. They will take what we call an investigative bite, which means they see something, it's a foreign object, it's very bizarre, and they're going to go up and take a nibble and find out whether or not that is something that may be edible. Now, regardless of what species of shark you are, my belief would be that if you take a nibble of a block of cocaine, you're probably not coming back for seconds. So mm. um, how it could change their behavior from that single dose, I really can't say. That's not my area of expertise. But it is realistic to believe that through food chain bioaccumulation, through a tiger shark being inquisitive, these animals could indeed, you know, I guess get a hit of cocaine. And that, unlike human beings, may not affect them in a upbeat way. It would, in fact give them major problems overall. Okay, now I'm one-upping ourselves again because I want to ask you about your show on the Discovery Channel. It's called Alien Sharks, Strange New Worlds. Mm -hmm. What are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's Discovery Channel, right? So we're not... We're not uh, pretending there are extraterrestrial sharks here. This is a play on words to talk about something I'm very passionate about, which is how incredibly unusual and otherworldly some of these lesser represented shark species are, like in this clip, the striped pajama shark, where you really, animals that just don't get a lot of spotlight. And you can see here, this is actual mating behavior captured for the first time on film, perhaps not as sexy as cocaine sharks, but uh, actually, I guess more sexy in a certain way, but uh, very exciting. I, I, I got you. That was that was slick, sir. That was <laughs> that was very slick. Um, I love looking at what is happening in our oceans. I don't think we do it enough. I don't think there's enough scientific uh, exploration there. We like to go to space, but we don't really know what's happening at the bottom of our oceans. So it is wonderful to see some of these programs to learn about what is happening in our world. Thank you so much for joining us. And I must mention, Shark Week starts this Sunday. So make sure you tune in to Discovery. <laughs> All right. Thank now, you. Thank you so much. Now to a storybook moment for soccer fans tonight. Lionel Messi made his long-awaited debut with Major League Soccer's Inter-Miami the way you'd expect the world's greatest soccer player to. Messi scored the game-winning goal in the final moments of the second half, curling in an incredible free-kick strike from outside the box to seal 
the 2-1 Inter-Miami victory over Mexican club Cruz Azul. Substitution for Inter-Miami CBS, Lionel Messi! Here it is. Messi! Goal! Messi told the Apple TV broadcast after the game, quote, what I saw was the goal. I saw the goal. I knew that I had to score. And boom, that's exactly what he did. All right. Now to the new Barbie movie that is out today. And while the Barbies in the movies are very diverse, that wasn't always the case for the doll. I got to speak to some of the movie stars about that. And we'll play it for you coming up. Okay. This is the real world. Barbie has been an icon for more than 60 years, so it's no surprise that there's a lot of hype around the Barbie movie releasing tonight. But just a few years after the doll's debut here in New York in 1959, controversy swirled, women fighting for equal rights railed against the measurements of Barbie's figure for setting impossible standards for girls and women. Racial diversity in the doll line was non-existent until 1967 when Mattel simply darkened the skin of the white Barbie model and marketed her as colored Francie. And diversity in Barbie's body shape is a relatively recent phenomenon. But actors Margot Robbie and America Ferreira promise in their movie Barbie has evolved. Weeks before the writers and actors went on strike, Robbie and Ferreira told me they didn't even play with Barbie as children, but they love the Barbie world they helped create as adults. Robbie told me she was a tomboy, she didn't like dresses, and was too busy running around trying to show the boys who was boss to play with Barbie. America Ferreira explains why she was not a Barbie girl as a child. I think a lot of people don't realize that's, that Mattel's first doll, sort of dark-skinned Barbie, was in 1967, and her name was Colored Francie. Thank the Lord we have moved on uh, from that. From dolls are Francie. They were, yeah, they're a really important representation of children. And I say that because you mentioned that there, there wasn't a whole lot in it for me. Um, but it sounds like you're happy with the way that the film represents the evolution, really, of Barbie and the evolution of women. Yeah. I I mean, yes. I mean, speaking for myself, absolutely. I think what I loved about getting to play Gloria was that she's a stand in for all of us, for all kind of human women trying to like make sense of like, what does it mean to be a woman real or imagined? Barbie is being released by Warner Brothers, which shares parent company Warner Brothers Discovery with CNN. Now, as for the lessons that I took away from seeing this movie, yes, I've seen it, for those of us that struggle with self-worth, nobody is quite like you. You were born unique, so love yourself no matter what. You are enough. And speaking of uniquely wonderful human beings, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, home to Fort Liberty, this week's CNN hero was struggling to survive after a brain injury when she saw veterans in need. Of the more than 30,000 veterans who experience homelessness in the United States, many are living in or near military towns. Our hero's own road to recovery took a turn, and she made it her personal mission 
to give back to those who have served their country. Meet Stacy Buckner. It takes boots on the ground to get back there, find them and meet their needs. We provide clothing, food. There's a full kitchen in the back. We also do laundry. Your pants are almost done spinning, baby. It's just filling a basic human need. I like this establishment. It's a setup you got. This is my brick and mortar. (laughs) Even though I'm not a veteran, I do have mental health issues that come with having a traumatic brain injury. So I can relate. You've been burning the road up in that walker. I know that much. Sometimes I really do surprise people with who I am. I mean, look at me. I look really rough around the edges, right? Hey, what's up, brother? And that's for you. What else you need? I'm all tatted up, and I may throw out a cuss word every now and then, but I'm just Stacy. It's important to show veterans that there are organizations out there that want to really provide support to you. Love to see the love. To see all the ways Stacy's off-road outreach is helping veterans in her hometown, go to CNNHeroes.com, and while you're there, nominate your hero. Nominations close July 31st. And thank you for watching us. Our coverage continues. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number Smart Beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.